welcome everyone. Um, I guess uh, we all should, I, I should definitely commend all of you uh, for trekking out in this treacherous weather. Uh, I guess hopefully it just wasn't raining the last hour or so as you were making your way here. Um, and good thing we got the heat cranking because it's definitely chilly out there, isn't it, today? Um, so again, thank you for coming. Um, again, my name is uh, Kian Kim. Um, I'm the administrative pastor here, here at Cornerstone. And I'll tell you a little more about myself later on, but I've had some interesting segues and journeys even in my 15 years here. Um, but um, I do want to build off of what Kyle was teaching from last week on the, the law of the firstborn. And very related to that is the, the concept of, of the law of the first fruits. And very quickly segue, um, all this does concern um, essentially what it comes down to is money, right? And it's such a hot topic in the church. Um, so I'll do my best to kind of position how, you know, what the Bible says all about that and even partly kind of where Cornerstone stands on some of that. All right. So you got a handout. Um, I'd like to first read through the scriptural passages for this evening, and then we'll, we'll definitely build through this. Um, the first couple of passages is from last week. Oh, I'm sorry, from two weeks ago. Okay. Um, Exodus 13, verses 1 and 2. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and beast, it is mine. Continuing on Exodus 13, verses 11 through 16. And it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, as he swore to you and your fathers and gives it to you, that you shall set apart to the Lord all that open the womb, that is, every firstborn that comes from an animal which you have, the male shall be the Lord's. But every firstborn of a donkey you shall redeem with a lamb. And if you will not redeem it, then you shall break its neck. And all the firstborn of man among your sons you shall redeem. So it shall be when your son asks you in time to come, saying, What is this? That you shall say to him, By strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And it came to pass when Pharaoh was stubborn about letting us go, that the Lord killed all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both the firstborn of man and the firstborn of beast. Therefore I sacrifice to the Lord all males that open the womb, but all the firstborn of my sons I redeem. It shall be as a sign on your hand and as frontlets between your eyes, for by strength of hand the Lord brought us out of Egypt. So now, so starting today, I mean, this week, continuing to Exodus 23, let me just read this passage, verses 14 through 19. Three times you shall keep a feast to me in the year. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. You shall eat unleavened bread seven days, as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib. For in it you came out of Egypt. None shall appear before me empty. And the feast of the harvest, the first fruits of your labors, which you have sown in the field, and the feast of ingathering at the end of the year, when you have gathered in the fruit of your labors from the field. Three times in the year all your males shall appear before the Lord God. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leavened bread, nor shall the fat of my sacrifice remain until morning. 
the first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. Sorry, there's a little typo there. Um, now, if you turn it over, again, I'm just reading through these passages and we'll, we'll dig in. So if you turn the page over, Leviticus 23, so there's you know, more details on, on these laws and these feasts. Uh, Pastor Skip, when he taught um, several weeks ago, he went into in-depth on the, um, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. Okay. So in Leviticus 23, verses 9 through 14, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, When you come into the land which I give you and reap its harvest, then you shall bring a sheaf of the first fruits of your harvest to the priest. He shall wave the sheaf before the Lord to be accepted on your behalf. On the day after Sabbath, the priest, the priest shall wave it. And you shall offer on that day when you wave the sheaf a male lamb of the first year without blemish as a burnt offering to the Lord. Its grain offering shall be two-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil, an offering made by fire to the Lord for a sweet aroma. And its drink offering shall be of wine, one-fourth of a hen. And you shall eat neither bread nor parched grain nor fresh grain until same day that you have brought an offering to your God. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations in all your dwellings. And the last short passage here in Leviticus 27, verse 30. And all the tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Okay, so this is a very critical time for the children of God, of the Israelites. They were just delivered out of Egypt after some hundreds of years of bondage. And now Moses is outlining for them all, all the laws of governance. Okay? Hence, sometimes all these very detailed instructions on how to do things. I mean, this, just again, one of the things I want to do, do tonight is maybe we should all just take a moment and, and as you study the Bible, sometimes just put yourself in that position, right? You are one of the Israelites. If you guys had a chance, you know that banner's been up for a little while. If you ever just kind of stare at it and just kind of meditate about um, I mean, that's the amazing scene of you know, when the Red Sea parted. Okay. I mean, just imagine you were one of the ones walking through, right? And you, you had experienced this amazing deliverance from bondage from Egypt. And it, there's a whole paradigm shift. Okay. You know, they were. They were slaves. They prayed for generations to be delivered. And I mean, just, just, just even the miracle of that experience. Okay. Um, how many have actually, I, I want to show a video clip right now. Okay. Um, how many have actually seen the movie Ten Commandments? Most of it? Uh, the, the original one. The, the Charlton Heston one. Well, again, just to get us to um, visualize and just kind of be there. I'm just going to show a short, a little less than 10 minutes, kind of the, the still that we see there in our banner. Um, again, just, just take in this short video clip, OK? All right, I thought we'd uh, add a little visual to 
Exodus 14. So it was, it was, it was right after, you know, again, uh, Kyle covered uh, Exodus 13 a couple weeks ago. And you know, I wanted to kind of also today just come from, um, just wanted to challenge all of us. You know, sometimes we read through the Bible, and you, know, you can read through Exodus 14, and it almost just kind of matter-of-factly, what we just saw there on the, on the film clip, it just describes um, what had happened. But again, in ex- Exodus 14, the Red Sea crossing. But you know, if you place yourself there, okay, you, you saw it just as the very last, the last scene there. You know, if you, if you had been there and you witnessed the power of God and surely everyone worshiped the Lord, but the, but the few interesting things of note is, I mean, again, you know, Hollywood took some liberties there, but they, you know, I think they did a pretty good job. And it's amazing they, they made that 1956. Uh, today, with all the CGI, I mean, it was practically real. But um, it actually, in, in the film, it was an Egyptian that was mocking Moses. But here, in uh, Exodus 14, um, it was actually other... Israelites, they were saying, um, in verse 11, then they said to Moses, because there were no graves in Egypt, have you taken us away to die in this wilderness? Why have, why have you so dealt with us to bring us up out of Egypt? I mean, it's just amazing. I mean, again, I, I stare at that and I think, boy, if I was part of that, surely I would never doubt the Lord. But, and you know, just a little later on, how long before they, they built the, uh, the altar to the, to the golden calf, right? Um, and it just kind of speaks to, you know, I think there's a real reason why God instructed Moses to make this um, an annual, a constant reminder um, of what the Lord had done for us. Okay. Um, and... I wanted to kind of come from, um, and again, without racing past, you know, again, just I ask myself sometimes when I read the Bible, when I read about Jesus' miracles, is it just a story? Or do I really believe this is what the Lord had done for all of us? And again, I just, I, I just uh, want to bring us back to just the last scene. Again, just... You see the power of God. You see the Egyptians, their tormentors, just destroyed right there. And um, in, verse, um, in the last verse of uh, Exodus 14, it says, Thus Israel saw the great work which the Lord had done in Egypt, so the people feared the Lord and believed the Lord and his servant Moses. I mean, just, just even that word fear, you know, it's not the cowering kind of fear, but really maybe the healthiest sense of respect, right? And even in Proverbs, it says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, okay? Um, you know, I just wanted to kind of keep us there just briefly to say, you know, again, this isn't just a, a fairy tale. This isn't just a, a quaint story that we just kind of read past. Oh, yeah, they crossed the Red Sea. And then, then there's chapters and chapters and chapters of, <laughs> of law given, um, and I think God, God knows us. God knows that it is our 
all these feasts and all these instruction is to keep us, keep us in the, in the attitude of thankfulness. Okay. So for now, um, in your small group, let me um, see. Okay, so they're in your handouts as well. Um, if we could, for the next 15 minutes, um, have a time of small group discussion. If you, if you guys can break into groups of, I'd say, you know, four to six, not more than six, but, you know, even three or four, okay? And go through those questions and really kind of ask, ask each other. And we, I hope this is a, a time of sharing. And, and so after about 15 minutes, we'll take a five-minute break. So basically, it's about 7.45 right now. If you want to come back at it, I'll try to call everyone together, like, around 8.05. We can come back, and we'll continue um, continue the Bible study. So, yeah, just break up into small groups. And, you know, again, be inclusive. You could also use one of the tables if, if, you, if it's a little uncomfortable turning around and there. All right, let's uh, regroup here and uh, hope you guys had a good time of sharing and discussion in your, in your impromptu small groups. Um, yeah, once again, I, I want to kind of regroup and, and start at the top in terms of just kind of reinforcing that thought of thankfulness. Okay. I had a couple of very interesting conversations with uh, a couple of friends of mine who are, who are uh, licensed therapists. And one of them kind of, it was a while ago, just kind of, we're having this discussion, and, and she said, well, you know, thankfulness or gratitude is not a natural trait. I was like, you know, that's interesting. In a certain sense, it makes sense because we're all essentially selfish creatures. Um, so gratitude, again, it's not something ingrained. It's not just naturally bubbles up from us. So I think that's one more reason why you know, the Lord outlined these feasts and these ceremonies and these events so that, you know, again, also remember back in the times of oral tradition, they didn't always have, you know, we take our written Bible for granted, but it was really only what, three, four hundred years ago that it was readily available. The printed materials were readily available. But prior to that, it was almost all, you know, it was very, the books and documents were, you know, only for exclusive access. Um, so, you know, again, in the, three times a year, God outlined us to have these feasts, and one of them was the one about first fruits. Okay. So, and again, we, we talked about how, again, Big transition time for people of God. They just came out of Egypt. They're kind of lost, really. So, you know, God's governance, a lot of these detailed laws and outlines are for, for God's people. Okay. Now, one of the other principles to always keep in mind, one of my youth pastors a long time ago taught me, wherever you're reading, and, and by the way, how, how's everyone doing on the reading through the Bible? It's, it's really, you know, it's something that gets us on track, and, you know, we may be a little behind, but I think each month has a little buffer there if you need to catch up, but wherever you're reading, whatever you're studying, always kind of keep in mind, like, where is Jesus in this passage? You know, so much of the Old Testament foreshadows the Messiah, Jesus. And, you know, in the, in the first, one of the first passages we read tonight, okay, about the, uh, the firstborn, you know, the references to the Lamb, okay, and, you know, I, I kind of outlined and underlined kind of some of the key areas, redeemed by the Lamb. These are all foreshadowing and references to, to Jesus. So in this 
concept of first fruits, if we fast forward, okay, so Jesus himself confirmed, okay, there's, there's some, maybe some false teaching or misleading teaching that says, oh, well, Jesus abolished everything in the Old Testament, so therefore we don't need to. No, no, no. Jesus actually confirmed, okay, in, um, so is that in, in Matthew 23, 23, okay, and, 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 and hear this out. This is also very interesting and very convicting, <laughs> Um, Matthew 23, 23 here. So Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees. And, um, you know, the other kind of convicting thing, by the way, Jesus saved some of his harshest criticism for the Pharisees. And Pharisees were the religious, self-righteous ones. And, you know, sometimes if we don't be careful, we can kind of fall into that, that category. But, um, Matthew 23, 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithes of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. So what Jesus is definitely saying, you know, you, you can't put too much focus on just the tithing and the money and, and that. There are other things you need to focus on. But, you know, it's pretty clear Jesus didn't simply just abolish and say, you don't need to do that. Okay. Um, and just even, why is this all important? I think the law of first fruits, you know, again, just want you to kind of meditate on that bit. Even, you know, pretty soon, I mean, right a little later on in Exodus 20, it talks about the Ten Commandments. Sometimes perhaps we treat this as, treat those as uh, ten suggestions or maybe not really commandments. Or, this isn't really law. It's just, uh, so, but even more so, I, I just want to take us up one level and say, well, why is this all important? Okay. First fruits. Okay. Um, one of the key things that even Jesus talked about, okay, is you cannot serve two masters. Okay. Je Jesus rarely spoke this Bluntly, okay. In Matthew six twenty four, sorry, we're gonna flip back and forth a bit here. Matthew six twenty four. Um, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Okay. This is again a pretty blunt way of God saying, you know, you can't serve. God, and money. Okay. And you know, a lot of the principles I'm going to kind of share with you is uh, from the Crown Ministries. They're, they're a very dedicated Christian ministry focusing on godly finances, how to manage our finances God's way. And, you know, they share some amazing facts. Like, you know, 2,300 verses in the New Testament are about money and possessions. One out of six verses in the four Gospels, the first four Gospels, are about money and possession. It's because God knows and Jesus said it, that God knows it can possess us. It can overwhelm us. Um, if I may share, um, we went to also one conference where, you know, John Ortberg, I, again, I'll give credit where credit's due. He, he said it very succinctly, and I kind of want to share it with you. He said, um, Jesus talked more about money than any other subject outside of the kingdom of God. Why? Why? Because money has a unique power to reveal 
the actual condition of the human heart. Because it is the way we assign value to reality, it is the primary resource to look to besides God to fulfill what we most crave. Okay. Money is the number one rival to God for the human heart. Okay. So, you know, I've also heard other pastors say, you know, money is, is probably the clearest indication. It's a litmus test of your faith. How you handle money, what does, does, it, does it overwhelm you? Does it possess you? Um, and one of, the, one of the key principles Crown teaches is that God owns all. Now, again, just, just, just think about that for a moment because it is a very kind of a liberating concept, a freeing concept to say, you know what? We don't own really any of this. We came into this world with nothing, and we're going to leave this world with nothing. We are just God's money managers. God asks us to be good stewards of what he has blessed us with. All right? And when we, if we feel like, oh, we owned it, I have to manage it, I have to grow it, I have to... I have to get to this target. I have to get to this. You know, I think that's when it really starts to overwhelm us. All right. And, and here's the other, other kind of a, if you haven't quite grasped this, you know, God wants to bless us. God doesn't want to take and withhold. You know, one of the other way I kind of wanted to think about this was when God says first fruits, you know, I, it's a stretch here, but work with me here. Um, if you recall back in the, uh, Garden of Eden, right after Adam had slipped up, God asks, Adam, where are you? Now, it's a bit of a rhetorical question. God didn't, it's not like God couldn't find Adam, right? But he wanted to see how Adam would respond, right? Does God need our money? No, our, our, our God has cattle on a thousand hills. He has all the resources. He creates resources. I mean, so the first fruits is a commandment so that we put God in the right perspective. Okay. It's the first and the best. Okay. Um, now, one more video clip I want to show you. It's not really in the Bible, but this, this parable that uh, uh, Chip Ingram shares, it's, it's a short three, four-minute portion, but I want you to hear this and kind of, again, the, the spirit behind the idea behind this, this little story he shares, I think is very appropriate to the tithing concept. All right, that, that session goes on for, for 20 minutes, and I didn't want to quite show the whole, the whole clip. But again, just for, for the purpose of illustration, okay? I don't know if you kind of sense the first time I heard that story, too. I was like, Ugh. you want me to do what? Um, and, uh, oops, hold on. Okay, so, um, again, the, the illustration of the story is, gosh, I need this right now. And yet, can I part with this now and so that I may gain more later? And also, again, again, it's just an illustration, it's just a story, but the parchment, okay, do I believe the parchment? Okay, again, is it just a story, or is it something I'm going to... So, the next, the, the next concept I want to go to is uh, Malachi chapter 3. Okay, this is, this is also pretty, I think this is one of the most amazing passages. In Malachi 3, this is... 
It's very powerful. And let me just read verses 10 to 12. Okay. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Okay. Um, this is the only time in the Bible where God says, try me. All right. Bring the tithes to the storehouse. And by the way, this, that's a pretty okay, direct reference to I was at Malachi, it's the, the last, um, last book of the Old Testament. And the storehouse is a, is a direct reference to essentially your local community. Okay. So, you know, the priests and the storehouse, okay, bring, bring your tithe, bring your tenth, okay, bring your first and the best, okay, and see and try me in this. See if I don't, here it says, uh, if, we'll, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. Now, it, um, okay, so just hold that thought for a sec, okay? Um, sorry, we watched that. Um, so I also want to kind of take care of some misconceptions at this time, okay? Um, some people also say, well, you know, I, I might, well, I, I could just tithe my time, you know? And, and this, this whole concept of first fruits really is about the material possessions and resources. Okay, now time is not a bad thing. It's not like you can't, but also it's proportional. Okay, and understand this is a very very challenging time. And really, it's some of us even just in this room. There's a wide range of incomes right here. Okay, it's not about the amount, but again, it's the first and the best. Okay, because God sees the heart of what what you are trying to give. Okay. Um, at this time, let me just, um, for a moment, um, as Pastor Skip mentioned, I, I, just about a year ago, I, I kind of changed roles here at Cornerstone. I'm currently the administrative pastor. And um, just so you get some relevant information just about our own community, um, you know, you probably notice that we don't really make a big deal out of the money issue on the weekends. And there's a reason why. I mean, it's, if you know our mission statement, we do want to be an exceptional outreach church that establishes people as followers of Jesus Christ. And knowing our community, knowing the city, okay, we just know it's going to be a stumbling block. These venues, okay, these, the Bible studies, the connection classes, there are venues where we can, you know, even afterwards, by the way, we, I'll be here to talk, take questions and uh, discuss things, but we just know that some of the visitors and the newcomers, um, it's just going to stumble them. Right? So that's generally why we don't really make a big issue, not because we don't believe in it, but because we want to make it as open as possible. I mean, as you guys know, some of you guys were invited this way. You walked in here and you said, well, you know, it's, it's pretty hands-free here. No one's going no to attack you and kind of accost you here. Um, and I think that's... But you know, the, the, even though we don't talk about it, okay, um, we are supported by a core group of faithful givers. That's the other reason why we don't need to, okay? We're debt-free because 
the previous generations were faithful. Okay. If, you, if you went to connection classes, you kind of heard a story about how Pastor Terry's grandfather started this church you know, back in the mid-60s. And they, I'm sorry, late 50s, I think they moved into this building about the mid-60s. And for the longest time, it was 60, 70, 80 people. And we had, we had pews before we had these chairs. Um, and I remember hearing stories about a, uh, a visiting a visiting evangelist that would talk and say, one of these days, your balconies will be free and it'll be so crowded here. And, and I think they said some of the members here were even a little cynical, like, yeah, right, okay. <laughs> um, and then when Pastor Terry became the, the, the senior pastor here in the late 80s, and he did have a vision to do outreach and to really present the gospel in a way that anybody can receive. And when my wife and I started attending back in 94, we were still at about, and we were just kind of implementing that new vision, and we still only had about 120 people here. And I didn't even know that door went up. Um, we, even back then, we weren't using the balcony. All the technology here wasn't here. We actually had a lady that was flipping transparency. The transparencies are projected there for the worship songs. Okay. I, I tell this story because, you know, again, our faithfulness, is going to bless others. And, you know, I, and I, in my role as the administrative pastor, I'm so thankful that, in a certain sense, I'm handed a, a situation where, you know, I, I don't have to wrestle a huge debt. Um, it's, we've, we've done what we can to be good stewards of what we've been given. And some of you also have heard that, you know, we're looking for, we're looking to expand. I think it's pretty obvious on weekends that there's very little elbow room here. <laughs> uh, just this last weekend at the 1030 service, we didn't have one available seat. I think if we had maybe one more family or one more group of four or five people come, I don't know where we would have put them. So all, you know, the first fruits, it's again, not just to, for, for some of us to uh, feel obligated, but rather if we give freely, because God loves a cheerful giver, right? And that our giving, again, whatever little it is, okay, it is going to be multiplied and blessed, okay? Um, now, one last passage I want to, this is similar to the, uh, the story that um, Chip Ingram shared. In, if you ever heard, read this, uh, or read this passage and heard a story of Elijah and the widow, okay? Let's just pass that. Um, sorry, talk through that. Elijah and the widow. In the first Kings, if you can, just, uh, go with me to first Kings, chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. Let me just read this to you. If you again, first Kings, chapter 17, verses 8 through 16. Okay. Then the word of the Lord came to him, came to Elijah, saying, Arise. Go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. See, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So Elijah rose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, indeed a widow was there gathering sticks. Oh, and by the way, let me also set the stage. This is when Elijah gave the word of God to the people, saying there's, there's going to be a drought okay, until some things change. It's going to be a long, long, long drought. So it's right in the midst of this, right? Um, and he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup 
that I may drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. So she said, as the Lord your God lives, I do not have bread, only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And after, make some for yourself and your son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day of the Lord sends rain on the earth. So she went away and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. So this also is a, again, it's almost painful when you read this and say, well, you know, couldn't God just send Elijah to some wealthy landowner that could have provided him all the food and water he needed? No, he went to a widow. And you could almost, <laughs> it's almost painful to hear her response. There's almost sarcasm in her voice. It's, oh, yeah, so, uh, you know, I was just about to make my last loaf of bread and so my son can eat our last meal and die. Okay. And yet, I mean, does it almost seem beyond rude <laughs> for a man of God to ask what little this widow had to make him a piece of, make him some bread first? Okay. So again, these are, these are the things that challenge us. Okay. Again, I, I believe God uses this story. It's an illustration here where it challenges us to say it's not simply our, our first and best and our first fruits are not just simply giving out of our surplus. Okay. Because it challenges our faith. Okay. Um, now, as I start to wrap up, now I do have to balance okay, a lot of what we studied. Okay. We all, we all, many of us may have heard the, the parable of the two mites. Right? In Mark chapter 12, okay, um, here's also a, a very powerful um, principle, I think, that, again, balances the one about the, the first fruits. Okay. Mark chapter 12, verses 41, 41 to 44. Now, Jesus sat opposite the treasury and saw... So Jesus is watching, right? How the people put money into the treasury, and many who were rich put in much. Then one poor widow came and threw in two mites, which makes a quadrant, quadrants. So he called his disciples to himself and said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this poor widow has put in more than all those who, given, who have given to the treasury. For they all put in out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty put in all that she had her whole livelihood. Okay. So, yeah, I want to share that because, again, it's not, it's not the amount. Okay. It is what comes out of the heart. Okay. And again, Jesus himself clearly said, you know, it's not the, it's not the uh, flaunting um, show-offs that, you know, dropped gold coins in the treasury with a big clunk and made a big deal out of it and said, watch me, see how I give. It's not that. That's not the concept of the first fruit here that, that, the, that God wants to show us, okay? The last thought I want to leave with you tonight, OK? 
is, I think I did the concluding principle, okay. Luke chapter 16, 11, okay. He who can be trusted with little can be trusted with much. Okay. I think that's also a very powerful thought that, that kind of goes along with this theme, okay, is wherever we are at, okay, do we give our first and our best? Do we have God in the right priority and perspective? Okay. And again, I, I just want to just go back to Jesus' words. words. He said pretty clearly, you cannot serve God and mammon. Okay. Because he knows that our possessions can possess us. Okay. And the principle of the first fruits, the law of the first fruits, help us release and lay it, on, lay it at the feet of God and say, Lord, it's yours. It's, it's yours anyways. You blessed me with all this. Okay. Um, I have two handouts for you. Now, as you leave, there, there's two handouts you could pick up on the table on the way out. You, you could pick up uh, uh, something called a crown money map. It, it's a very practical tool to kind of help you. Uh, essentially, it teaches you principles about how to manage, God's, manage money God's way. Okay. So it's a very visual and uh, a straightforward tool that helps you kind of get there. And secondly, there's a, um, uh, all the verse references regarding, again, finances. And it's, it's from the Crown Ministry. It has verse references. And one more article from um, Kirk Nowry, who is a, who's a, who's a, who's a kind of a, an expert on stewardship. And I, th I believe he'll actually be a guest speaker this, this summer as well. Um, so, so, additional, so there's a couple other things on the table if you want to pick it up on the way out. Um, so again, I'll, I'll be available to... Um, Take questions later on, but let me just close in prayer for now. Okay. Heavenly Father, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, as we just uh, kind of meditate and just think about where, the, where your people were when they left Egypt, um, where their minds were and how they were just freed, Lord, and, and yet they needed guidance and structure and and Lord with this the, the law of the first fruits Lord um, I pray Lord that this concept Lord this these, these principles uh, that we would meditate on it Lord and I know for some of us it's new and challenging for some of us um, it's we've been we've been understanding the the concept tithing for a long long time and we've been blessed with perhaps parents or elders who have taught us that a long time ago um, but Lord, I, I, we just, just today, just this evening, the worship, Lord, and the study, and the fellowship, and the discussions, and, and Lord, we just dedicate it all to you, Lord. I pray that these principles would be a blessing to those who came tonight, Lord. And, um, and again, may we just meditate on your word. May it not just be stories for us, Lord. May it just not be um, parchment, Lord, but that these are the word the Lord of hosts, and God, that, Lord, may we truly understand that you want to bless us, that you want us to live abundantly and free. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for, for your word, Lord, and, and again, may, wherever, if we're doing the, the Bible reading in a year, Lord, may you encourage us to stick with it, Lord, and to truly, by end of the, end of the year, to, to finish reading um, your, your book, Lord, from, from cover to cover. And may it be a blessing for us, Lord. Again, I just thank you for everyone who made time to, 
to be here, Lord, who carved out valuable time to, to learn from you, Lord. I, I pray that it was a blessing, and I, I thank you, and I lift up all this, Lord, in your precious Son, Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.